Welcome to Escape the Earth. We are a sci-fi and fantasy book club transmitting from an undisclosed location within the San Antonio Public Library. We are supported by the San Antonio Public Library Foundation and are a part of the Tuned In family of podcasts. I'm your host, Liz, and with me today is my wonderful co-host, Tim. Yes. Hi, everybody. So today we will be pondering the question of what constitutes life, what makes life fulfilling, the futures of the gig economics, which I, for one, know nothing about, big pharma, and social media. All of this and more will be examined through the lens of S.B. Divya's new book, Machinehood. As always, we do have some disclaimers. We assume that you have read the book prior to listening to this, so be aware that there will be spoilers. What we really want is to encourage people to read these authors. We want to show you that you don't have to be a physicist to love and understand sci-fi. And another thing, listeners should be aware that this particular discussion will touch on some adult topics and possibly some sensitive topics. So tender ears be forewarned. Yeah, so come on, come all. I barely passed high school physics and I still love sci-fi. So please do not let the the sciencey jargon scare you off. Or the fact that, yeah, we are going to be talking about maybe some touchy topics today. So let's see. My knowledge of physics extends to the existence of gravity. I do understand entropy. I don't know. That's that's probably about it. Yeah, I mean, I know speed is equal to distance divided by time, and an object in motion will stay in motion, and an object at rest will stay at rest, and I forgot Newton's third law. (laughs) I think uh, force equals mass times acceleration. Yes, that's correct. I only have, I only know that because I have a Star Wars shirt. Oh, see, and I only know that. (laughs) May the F equals ma be with you is what that's awesome i want that shirt (laughs) that sounds like a fun shirt um so before we get too far into things we wanted to take a second and thank everybody who has been listening to us from the beginning this has been a learning experience for us we're just figuring out how to podcast and we're learning as we go and we've worked really hard to try and produce something that people will like we also want to reach out and thank our international listeners australia canada germany we're looking at you guys yeah and as of the the last episode that we published which was the one about lies of lacamora yes uh that may sound confusing to listeners because we we kind of try to stay ahead of the game so we're a couple episodes out so Anyways, as of the last episode statistics, I check. We'll leave it at that. We also had a, a couple listens, or at least one listener in Ireland. So thank you to our Irish folks as well. That's right. Machinehood is the book that we're discussing this month. And I'm going to just give a brief overview of that. For Machinehood, you want to imagine a world where machines constantly grow smarter, faster, and more efficient. And humans are forced into what's called the gig economy. If you don't know what the gig economy is, that's like driving for Uber, working on Amazon Mechanical Turk. Basically, you're taking small jobs that pay a set fee in advance, and nobody works for a company anymore. Nobody, everybody just has to go and do like these freelance gigs. And so humans are forced into the gig economy and they can only keep pace with the robots in one of two ways. And one way is by taking pills. They're designed to push human mental and physical performance to its limits and beyond, or by actually becoming part machine themselves. Uh, The main character is Olga Welga Ramirez. Uh, She works as a human shield for wealthy pill designers who are often targets for both human and robot rights groups. A mysterious new extremist group, the Machine Hood, makes itself known by attacking and killing the pill designer that Welga is guarding. 
In this world, the attacks are, re are a regular occurrence, but uh, killings are not. Welga is a former special ops soldier and the sole living member of her original unit, and she's enticed back to government service for the opportunity to find out who is behind the machine hood attacks. Some think the machine hood is a sentient AI, but Welga believes it will lead her back to an old enemy in the country where her squad mem members' bodies are buried. Welga also hides a dark secret. The pills that she takes to push her body appear to be breaking it. She's suffering seizures, she's losing muscle strength and losing control of her muscles. Um, Welga's sister-in-law, Nitya, discovers that not only are the pill manufacturers are uh, aware of these side effects, they're actively hiding it. Nitya is a biologist and Welga sends her readings back after a seizure and has Nitya start looking into it. And she keeps hitting blocks. You know, they keep throwing up blocks when she looks for information. So the question is, will Nitya be able to find a cure for Welga before the condition becomes irreversible? Can Welga discover who's behind the machine hood before her body gives out completely? And what is the machine hood's connection to the mysterious Buddhist group on Echo Yi, a space station orbiting Earth? The cast of characters in this, there's Welga, there's Nitya, uh, there are other characters connected with them. Connor, who is Welga's partner, Oscar, who is Welga's father, Luis, who is Welga's brother and Nitya's husband. Aotera is also known as Josephine Lee, and she's the leader of the Neo-Buddhist um, Echo Yi. Hassan, Olafson, Emmanuel, they're all less important characters connected solely to Welga. Fill certain aspects of the story in, you'll hear their names, but they don't offer any view on the plot. Um, Zeli is a programmer connected to Nitya, and uh, you may hear these scene, these names come up when we discuss scenes. Yeah, so this was... The summary makes it seem like this book can be a little overwhelming, that there's like a lot of big points in, in like how do they all come together. But Divya does a fantastic job of bringing it all together, connecting it, and really telling a seamless story throughout the entire book. So stick with us. We're going to get into some interesting topics. Um, I know, Tim, there's something you want to talk about first. Well, I was thinking just about the tech in this so i wanted to talk about the tech first mm -hmm. the tech is super cool in this i know we did um tim and i did an interview with tuned in which is like the head podcast here at sapple and i remember one of the questions we got asked by jd was it was something along the lines of like what kind of technological advancement are we excited to see or are, are we excited that has come about? And I feel like when I answered that question, I didn't really have an answer. Cause like I said before, I feel like I've grown up with a lot of this tech. So it takes a lot to surprise me or to be like, Ooh, but this book made me go, Ooh, quite a lot. And I would love to see some of the tech in this book become reality. And there's a couple points I'm going to bring up once you talk about, you want to talk about Tim that I feel like, you know, this tech is not as far, it's not as far in our future as we maybe think. Like it's closer than we think. Right. And going back to that earlier interview, whatever answer I gave, I'd like to change to personal protection drones that come out and like shock people who get too close to me. I mean, you could train a dog to do that. I'm just saying. I guess. A robot <laughs> dog. A ro okay, a robot dog. So my, my initial reaction to machine hood was that big pharma and big tech and big social media had some kind of weird weekend in, in the uh, Florida Keys and that machine hood is the result. The book feels futuristic, but it's only set in 2095, so it's pretty near future. Yeah. 
And then you started sending TED Talks uh, about the small electronic pills that they're trying to make that can stimulate dis- different parts of your body via electric pulses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they seem very much like the pills that Welga takes to make herself stronger, more active, and that Nitya take to make herself focus on things. Yeah. Yeah. When I, so I was randomly perusing TED Talks daily because, I mean, I have my usual lineup of podcasts, but you know, sometimes you just want to change it up. And I saw the title for the one that Tim's talking about. It's called Electronic Pills That Could Transform How We Treat Disease. And I was like, oh, I was like, these are, these pills are still in very early stage, but you can almost see the foundation being laid for what is known as the book as the funders or the people funding and encouraging the creation of various type of pills and the pills themselves. So in the book, the pills are referred to as pills. Uh, there's one word that starts with a B. Do you remember what it is? Buffs. Buffs. And then I think there's a third one. Juvers. Juvers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so this specific pill definitely seems more like a just what they refer to as a pill or a juver in terms of the book. So yeah, it's a pill that can treat you that you ingest it. And it's like these little pulses or machines, or I don't, I don't remember what it was. Sorry. Dog pause. Yes. Dog pause. Sorry. My dogs heard something. I thought I put them on do not disturb, but obviously I didn't click it correctly. Give me one moment while I lock them up. But anyway, so what was I saying? Um, so yeah, so I just thought this TED Talk was super interesting. It's super short. I highly recommend um, listening to it because again, super short. And um, if you have read the book or you want to read the book, I just think it's, it's some really good food for thought. And real quick, sorry, I know I'm like taking over the conversation, but real quick, there is another TED Talk daily that seems to be the harbinger of the world that is created in machinehood. And that talk is how your body could become its own diagnostic lab. So in this one, you know, we go to the doctors are like, okay, we need to send you to, we need to send you to a lab to, you need to get your blood drawn. You need to like do a P test. You need to do some stuff. So what this gentleman was saying is that basically the diagnostics lab would be in you so that instead of physicians and doctors treating you from the outside in, they treat you from the inside out. And so whatever, whatever this diagnostic lab consists of, like within you, it communicates from within your body and gives the doctors the information that they need so that they can actually see what could be going on. Like they can read your levels and do all this other stuff. And instead of having to I guess like waste time and also possibly not have super accurate information or be able to see everything. Cause you know, they can only see so much inside your body without starting invasive procedures, then they can treat you. So, and this reminded me of the, of like the personal assistant in machinehood, because it basically operates as being able to do that. Like it can, like, that's how Welga sends Nithya information about her pill problem she tells her personal assistant um poor k okay it is poor k uh she's like poor k said nithia my i don't know i remember my health data yeah so i just thought those were super cool super relevant to the book also just some really interesting food for thought and i think it again just goes to show how this book is set in 2095 and that's really not that far in the future. So thanks for coming to my TED talk. On to you, Tim. <laughs> you know, just when I think of, you know, swallowing your own little mini diagnostic lab so that it can transmit data from within your body, the tinfoil hat society is going to love things like that. That's true. That's true. The personal assistance, though, I do find interesting. So in machinehood, each person has a personal ins- assistant embedded in their brains. It's an implanted 
weak artificial intelligence or are they do they call it a way or a why i'm making a face at you because we're we're gonna do the thing where we're like how do you say this what is the correct way to say this is it gif or is it jif or is it jeff I think they pronounce it. So it's funny in the book, she actually comments on this, the character Welga. She's so I think they say it as a why. Mm -hmm. But then she makes a comment like, but Americans say it like way because Americans. Because they disregard everything. Oh, yeah, I remember that. So we're going to call it a why. And it stands for weak artificial intelligence. And it's basically just like having Siri or Alexa uh, implanted in your head. I remember when Siri first came out and it was brand new tech and they had all those commercials of celebrities at home talking to Siri. Siri, tell me what the weather's going to be like. Siri, tell me a joke. Siri, look up French restaurants. And I was thinking poor Samuel L. Jackson has to spend Saturday night talking to his phone. And then I remember distinctly rolling my eyes when I learned the premise of the movie Her, where Joaquin Phoenix falls in love with his computer. But just imagine what it would be like having Siri or Alexa implanted in your brain. Always there, always on. On the one hand, I feel like my calendar would be much better managed. On the other hand, uh, the point is really that Siri and Alexa are probably the first iteration of this, but the the characters in Machine Hood are very comfortable with their personal assistants. And uh, even when they dislike other or distrust other weak artificial intelligence. I think you're 100% correct, Tim, that Siri and Alexa are the forefathers or I guess foremothers since they are both female of the personal assistant in the book. Personally, I quite frankly wouldn't mind having a Wexa or Siri there, um, but maybe if she got a bit smarter. I turned her on, guys. So if you hear in the background, hmm, I don't know that. It's because I accidentally turned my Echo on. So like the way Welga is merged with poor Kay once she becomes a Dakini, I would be 100% okay with that. And another great comparison is like the way Jarvis is for Iron Man. I don't know if it's the aspect of personality. I think it's kind of the imitation of personality in these um, artificial intelligences. But knowing that like they're not, it's that illusion of personality because it makes speaking to them less awkward awkward more intuitive and you know we as humans I know I do it I'm sure everybody has done it several times you say something and it comes out of your mouth and you're like that wasn't exactly like the right like it's not bad it's just you're like that came out different than what I meant but the person across from you who you're talking to is like oh no I totally know what you mean but you can't do that with these artificial intelligences. Like you have to be pretty exact because they're at the end, they're computers and they run off of very specific rules and parameters and they need specific words. <laughs> and so I think if, you know, the, a personal assistant was created and it was more like 4K once Welga merges with it, then I would be 100% on board volunteer sign me up give me that <laughs> i'm not quite there yet that, that it must be a generational thing because i i just feel like eh, sometimes i just want to disconnect yeah and i i 100 percent think it's a generational thing because i already said it once i'll say it again i'm probably gonna say it a bajillion times while we do this podcast it's just like i grew up with this there's, and there's certain aspects about it that I just accept and just go with the flow with, so to speak. So it doesn't seem as one scary because I know it's scary for some people and, you know, I totally understand why. And it's not, it doesn't seem as invasive because 
it would make everything that I do now say like on my smartphone and my watch and my computer, it would make like all of that more seamless and convenient. And I'm just like more convenient, sign me up. And I thought at one point in my life that computers had hit their max when the Apple IIe came out. I don't even know what that is, Tim. <laughs> you can probably see one in a museum now. It'll be right next to the typewriter. So I think you wanted to talk a little bit about the, uh, the heads up issue as well. Yes. So, uh, so one of the big things that pops up at the beginning of the book and is carried basically through the end, maybe more as a subplot or as a subtopic of the main plot is abortion. So I was super surprised by the topic being in the story, mostly because I just don't normally read sci-fi fantasy where this is a quote-unquote thing. It's pretty typical in sci-fi fantasy books to see worlds that one just like this is a non-issue, it's never brought up. Or in these worlds, um, some of the currently prevalent social human rights issues aren't a part of the world in these books like they've been resolved they have an end thing there's no conflict or struggle around it anymore however in machinehood nithya welga's sister-in-law is the other point of view that we get the book from uh, so nithya is pregnant and she knows she and her husband cannot afford to have another child they are already struggling financially to, in this gig economy with one child and nithya is the main breadwinner of the family and being pregnant will take her out of work for months because she cannot use flow, um, which is, as we mentioned before, it's a type of pill. Imagine it, or the way I kind of find a modern day or a current time period equivalent is like Adderall. Like it allows you to focus and your mind processes to just kind of go into overdrive and be really, really efficient and help you achieve a lot. And in this future world, there is no such thing, apparently, as maternity or paternity leave. So she's not going to have income for these months. And her husband is a part of the gig economy. You know, the fact that she has a job that gives her steady payment is rare. And her husband, you know, gets what he can when he can. And so, yeah, they, they will financially struggle. They already have one child. And she's like, I don't. She's like, we cannot do this. I cannot do this. And so I don't really have tons of commentary on this because I don't want to get into like a political discussion because that's just not what we do here. But I do feel like it's worth mentioning because again, it was very present in the book. And just, I just found it really interesting and surprising when I read the book and I saw that I was like, oh, oh, okay. I wasn't expecting this. So make of that what you will. I just thought it was worth mentioning. And moving on. The, the way I view this particular subject and its inclusion in the book is that Welga and Nithya have very similar story arcs. They kind of work in opposite directions, though. But mm -hmm. if you look at where they start, you know, Welga is a very public persona. She has followers that, that, pay her money to to see the things that she's doing and you know she can she can get people to go and buy a cup of coffee at a certain place because she has this following uh, whereas Nitya is a very private person and their roles both sort of shift around uh, as you go through the book but there is one point where they're both hiding things from their spouses or their significant others. Welga is hiding the fact that she has rejoined government service from Connor. Nitya is hiding the fact that she's terminated this pregnancy. We would like to hope that humanity would find better solutions for things, but that's just not always how, how it works. Some things are just going to be I guess, ongoing struggles for us. Another book 
series that does this really well is uh, the James S.A. Corey series that starts with Leviathan Wakes. In that series, um, humans have populated Mars and the Kuiper Belt, the asteroid belt, and um, you know there's all kinds of intrigue between those three ent- entities, like the Earth and the Mars Earth Earthlings. Do I call this? Where? <laughs> what do I call them? The people of Earth are very tr- distrustful of the people of Mars. They're both human, but you know I would call them Martians and us Earthlings. And so the Earthlings distrust the Martians. And both the Earthlings and the Martians distrust the Belters, and the Belters don't like either of them, but they're all dependent upon each other in this weird thing. And and it just, to me, it's it's like our, our race issue that, you know, people can't seem to get past. And here's this book that's occurring in the future, uh, or the storyline that's occurring in the future, and that's still playing a factor in that book all these groups they they just they don't get along they're very suspicious of each other but they have to depend on each other for various things you see this with echo Yi in in the book in machinehood too like they're still dependent upon earth even though they're they're living in outer space um they have like garbage pickup on echo Yi. And they still need to get supplies from Earth. Yeah, um, they're not fully self-sustaining. Right, right. I think that's a good comparison. And I also think that provided some perspective on the issue. So thank you for that, Tim. I didn't really notice that uh, the similar arc between Nithia and Welga till you brought it up. So I think that's really interesting. So you had you had a quote in here where you were talking about how uh, you agree with the things that the Dakini said when when they were captured. Yes. So uh, for me, this book was very thought provoking and engaging. And as much as uh, Machinehood is obviously the quote unquote bad guy in this story. Divya is so fantastic about adding nuance to it that it's not just a cutout of a terrorist group. It's a group that has a human founder and the book takes some time to explore some more about this founder. Well, she's the leader now. She wasn't the founder, but the leader of Echo E, which you find out is kind of the one behind machinehood and machinehood has a manifesto and each chapter has like a little snippet from it at the beginning but yes as tim said whenever the dakini uh, was captured by welga being questioned by this government agency uh she said something and and i was just like i was nodding my head and then i paused to myself like oh Oh, I'm not in my head to this. So this is the quote. They, the funders, made false promises with their designs. People suffer or die daily because of their projects. People who are forced to consume these products to compete with the machines, which are also innocent, many ways have attained the same level of consciousness as animals to force them into labor, then abandon them when they break down is the same as leaving an ailing horse in the fields to die. Human and machine kind deserve better. We deserve a chance to live and work with dignity, with freedom, and with equality. The funders drive us to ever greater extremes. Every generation has less stability than the previous one, less self-worth. The funders must be exposed, their souls delivered to rebirth. The earth must be cleansed and born anew. A better way of life exists and all deserve to be a part of it. So can we just pause one to admire the beautiful writing? And then two, I feel like there's a lot to dissect in this little chunk, but I feel like I've been talking a lot. So Tim, do you have any reflections, comments, thoughts on this quote? (laughs) 
So what it makes me think of is if anybody has ever read Jordan B. Peterson's 12 Rules for Life, he has a rule in there that says, um, treat yourself like someone who does who you are responsible for taking care of. And the whole point of that rule seems to be that like we're much better at delivering uh, staying on schedule with our dog's medication than we are with our own. And he chalks this up to the idea that humans are self-loathing creatures and that we, he, he takes it all the way back to original sin, essentially, oh, wow. basically, and saying that like our psyches, like we just think that we're horrible. And so we put ourselves off. I mean, and, and we'll do far better taking care of our dogs and our pets than we will of ourselves. I am 100% living proof of that. I'm just going to throw that out there. I knew some you days, would like that. Some days I forget to eat, but you better believe my puppies got their dinner and their, I mean, their breakfast and their dinner and that it was spruced up with all sorts of additives because my puppies need the best but I will literally eat microwave noodles for all three meals one because I love noodles and two because I'm lazy and three I'm just like I just need sustenance so so anyway I was I was just wondering if that the expression of cleansing the earth and having things be begin again is is another expression of the self-loathing and I don't know I mean I, I think so I could totally like I can see where an argument could be made for that because I mean look at Marvel what did Thanos do snap and half the of the universe's life was gone because I mean I don't have an exact quote but his whole thing was we there are not enough resources we are a parasite so in order to allow resources to flourish again and to therefore have the remaining people flourish we need to get rid of half of the entire population of the universe which I think is goes back to this like self-loathing thing. I mean, maybe self-loathing isn't like the best like term for it, but there is a connection. I could totally see a connection. And I think that Divya brings up this theme and that's something as, you know, as prevalent in pop culture as Marvel and Thanos brings up this theme. And it's a theme that has been brought up numerous times in literature and shows and everything and also like a lot of sci-fi books that deal with AIs and like rampant AIs that they're like the AIs are saying well you said I need to preserve humanity or preserve the earth well y'all are the biggest problem so y'all need to go (laughs) (laughs) so yeah I think there's definitely a theme there yeah I have to agree the, the other thing I was going to say is that you mentioned the Machinehood Manifesto, and there is actually a whole manifesto on SB Divya's site, and mm-hmm. we'll include the links to that in the show notes, along with the, um, the links to all the TED Talks as well. Yes, and we, I mean, I don't know, I kind of want to encourage people to go look at the book, because in order to access the manifesto, you need a password, and it's a... You can find the password in the book. So I guess I'll see how generous I'm feeling when the show notes come out. I'm like, hmm, do I want to make y'all work for it? Well, I mean, it's pretty easy if you have have a copy of the book. It's pretty easy to find. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's like, it's not like it's complicated. You just need a copy of the book. That's really all you need. Going into the... uh the social issue uh, thing again, we have this debate of humans and robots mm-hmm. needing equal rights. And, uh, and it sounds like a far-fetched debate, but uh, again, we're going to enter into some topics that may be sensitive or not for younglings, but Uh, I found a series of articles in Forbes that discuss sex robots as a disruptive technology, and there's already a counter group that's protesting it, saying that, you know, you can't enslave these robots, and um, 
a professor uh, of ethics and culture of robotics at De Montfort University, which just sounds like a, it sounds almost like it can't be possibly anybody's title, but obviously <laughs> it is. Uh, she's at De Montfort University in England. Her name's Kathleen Richardson. She's quoted in the article saying that she's anti anything that turns human bodies into commercial objects for buying and selling. Um, you know, and my point is not to say that either side of this is right or wrong, but it's just to point out that the debate already exists. Mm-hmm. Just like we're never getting rid of or resolving the other issue uh, with the pregnancy being terminated or the abortion or in the James S.A. Corey series, maybe some cultural differences that never get resolved. Mm -hmm. And then here again, you have this other issue that, you know, it it sounds weird, what, give robots equal rights, but there's already a discussion happening. Should that be the case? Yeah. Um, so I found an article too. It was on SB Divya's website under the tab Science Bites. Um, and so she, under that, she just gives links to articles that she's read that month that she found interesting. So I was perusing that and I found this one article called Robots Are Animals, Not Humans by Kate Darlings, who is a research specialist at the MIT Media Lab. And she focuses on the near future impact robots will have on various aspects of society. And so, and this kind of goes back, so the quote I'm going to talk about goes back to this thing about robots having rights and humans having rights, and also how in the man, in the quote from the manifesto, how ways in this book have already reached an animal level of consciousness. And as we know, from current science findings, animals have feelings. They may be very base and they may be very instinctual, but animals do have feelings and they have a certain level of understanding of the world. And so Kate kind of, I feel like she, she kind of comes at this issue from one, we're not going to be replaced by robots in terms of the job market because we're not, we're not replaced by animals for the things animals can do in the job market, but also, hold on, I'm trying to read it real quick. See, I, I don't know if that's necessarily true, though, because you think horses used to be our main mode of transportation. They've been replaced by automation. That's true, and they have, but at the same time, horses are still very much a part of the world. Like, they didn't, they didn't go extinct. They didn't go the way of the dodo. Um, they are still used. Maybe they have a different purpose now. They're more for, like, recreational or like racing or something, but they're still, they're still there. Like they weren't completely made null and void. I think as far as robot rights, so going back to the article you were talking about and like these sex robots, I feel like the main issue there, and this is just me narrowing in on that specific example, is that like these robots potentially look very human. And so like, there's a lot of human aspects applied to them. So it's, it's anthropomorphism. So this is defined by Wikipedia as the attribution of human traits, emotions, and intentions to non-human entities. And I think that, that, that is the crux of the problem in my humble opinion. I'm not a professor or anything, but that's kind of a big issue there is because they seem so human. It's like, I don't really think the issue is the robots. I think, I think it's the fact that the robots are placeholders for humans. And so I think it just goes back to like the human issue and like human rights and human social issues around like sex and sex work and all this other stuff. So that's a rabbit hole though, that I am not going to go down. No, no. <laughs> my, my point was really is that there, there's already some some talk about this. Like, yeah, it, it's not exactly the same, but it is getting within that that ballpark. Right, and even um, I mean that article that Kate, uh, what's her last name again? That Kate Darling's wrote that I was talking about. I feel like if if our listeners are interested, reading her article or reading her new book, The New Breed. 
that that would be um that would kind of help elaborate on this issue that or this conversation that like you said Tim it does already exist yeah I think that's just a good thing to kind of look into if that's something that piques your interests I still want a robot dog that shocks people when they get too close to me you could just use a regular dog for that instead (laughs) of shocking they just bark or scratch last thing that I have to talk about and this goes back kind of to your your quote from the Dakini when the Dakini says that the funders drive us to greater extremes every generation has less stability than the previous one Mm -hmm. Um, that to me speaks of the economics of this and we can already see like some trends Mm -hmm. uh, in the current uh, time Mm -hmm. basically there have been some headlines that the current generation is going to be the the first to not produce as much as the generation preceding it. And perhaps that has to do with the way the economy and the way work is changing, how those things are evolving. You're hearing more discussion now about universal basic income. We've already heard many discussions about... um, Uh, about moving to the gig economy and so many people are supporting themselves driving for uber delivering for amazon as as on a contract you know doing working through these crowdsourcing sites Mm -hmm. Um, it's becoming more and more prevalent and is that going to continue to be the way that work progresses are we all eventually going to be just independent contractors uh, in a company of one i oh so economics is not really my thing that's totally tim's forte but um i mean i i worry that it is gonna be like this trend is just gonna keep going on until it culminates to like where yeah we're basically in a gig economy And personally, I find that terrifying because, I mean, even as a millennial nowadays, I find it very hard to to find work with a steady income. I mean, obviously, I have a job right now and it thankfully does provide me with a steady income, but unfortunately, it's not it's not enough. So you know, I am having to, 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 to find what we refer to as side hustles. So, right. So I think Tim, that your question of, will this become the future economy? I I think it has the potential to be. Yeah. Because I think one people like the idea of basically being their own bosses, like, you know, yeah, I started door dashing and it's, and obviously I do when I'm not doing my other job. It's like on my days off. It's nice because I can just work whenever I want. I don't have a schedule. I work for however long I want, but it doesn't pay enough. And I think we see that with like Lewis and Nithya, like Nithya has a steady income and Lewis just kind of gets jobs where he can. There's no consistency. There's no stability. But at the same time, like it kind of works better for companies too. Cause I mean, then they don't have to worry about paying salaries or doing anything like that, or like healthcare benefits or, you know, like the model of the typical job now, it, it like, if they're given this other option, like, well, pff, heck yeah, I'm going to go that other option. I make more money. Right. And so, and that's sort of the thing though, like, you've heard of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? And stability is one of those things that we need. It's one of those that, that we need. It's one of those foundational cornerstones that allows us to build a better society. Mm-hmm. And if people are forced into this position or into this way of life where they never feel stable, what are going to be the ramifications of that? Yeah, and um, I think the manifesto really touches on that. And that's kind of, um, I think, possibly, I mean, if you disagree, totally tell me. But I feel like it could also be said that's kind of a theme in the book. 
maybe not like a really like prominent theme, but it's there. Right. On page 10 of the book, they do give a breakdown of how the the economics of the machinehood world work. It says modern society has found itself at the mercy of an oligarchy whose primary purpose is to accrue power. They've done it by dividing human labor into two classes, designers and gigsters. The former, the designers, are exploited for their cognitive power, while the latter rely on low-skilled transient forms of work for hire. Uh, the designers that make, uh, make the pills that humans take are able to, to be able to compete with automation and everybody else just works in the gig economy. And you had another quote from the uh, Darling article that kind of touched on that too. So in the article, it says automation has and will continue to have huge impacts on labor markets. Those in factories and farming are already feeling the aftershocks. There's no question that we will continue to see industry disruptions as robotic technology develops, but in our mainstream narratives, we're leaning too hard on the idea that robots are a one-to-one replacement for humans. I think we definitely see that in the book, because I know Welga mentions it like in her chapters every now and then that like her dad used to do used to work on a farm and he would be like in a machine and you know it affected his health but now he babysits a robot like the robot's doing most of the work he's just babysitting it in case something happens is there to squirt the oil can in case it rains yes some wd-40 at the ready squirt squirt (laughs) got a little emergency belt with wd-40 and the screwdriver yeah exactly but I mean, that's kind of like we we laugh and like we get this funny visual, but then it's also like, eek. <laughs> <laughs> like, is that really like what our jobs are going to be one day? And then I think that goes back to so I feel like this is like a Russian doll or a domino effect, this kind of conversation, because um, then it goes into finding fulfillment in your life and your work which is something else that is briefly touched on in that quote I read earlier from the manifesto is like finding fulfillment in and things like that in your work you know it does talk a lot about how uh throughout the book and I wish we had more time to to get into this Mm -hmm. but it does talk a lot about how people need some kind of purpose Mm-hmm. And, and for, uh, for a lot of people that used to be fulfilled by, by work, it doesn't seem to, to do that in this particular world. People are looking for something more. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why the way of life on Echo Yi and the, the way the Dakini uh explain things have some appeal people people do need a purpose and i've been very fortunate that i have found one Mm -hmm. but uh not everybody has that yeah yeah so robots man yes (laughs) the evil ai coming for your jobs there was a Another thing I was going to say about that, as far as people needing a purpose, there's a Von, a Kurt Vonnegut book, and I can't remember what it, which one it is, but it, it's it's one of those dystopian type things, and it ends in a big riot where, you know. And essentially, people live the same way. They they go to the factory, and the only people that have jobs anymore are the engineers. And their whole job is to make sure that the robots in the factory keep functioning. Mm-hmm. And so then, all the people who are poor and don't have any money, they kind of rise up, and then they go and they have this big old riot at the end of the book, and they destroy the factory and destroy anything that's automated. And then after all that rage is sort of spent, the final scene is a bunch of guys sitting around trying to repair one of the machines that they just broke. Oh my gosh. 
but they were having the best time doing it and, and but you see like they had a purpose then mm-hmm. um and it was to rebuild what they destroyed mm-hmm. is that what humanity is now maybe you we are filled with self-loathing Maybe we are, Tim. I feel like you just gave an example that's just like, <laughs> oi, oi, oi. So, ending on a high note today. Yes. Yes. Uh, I, I feel like this is the part where we can say thank you for listening. Yes. And join us next month for Piranesi by Susanna Clark. Yes. And rate, review, and subscribe or leave a comment. We can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and SoundCloud. And I think really any other podcaster, podcast catcher of your choice. Those are just some of the main ones. Um, new episodes drop on the first of every month. And to contact us directly to find links to back episodes, transcripts, show notes, to view our reading list, or find our Goodreads group, visit HTTP colon forward slash forward slash guides g-u-i-d-e-s dot m-y-s-a-p-l dot o-r-g forward slash e-t-e that's guides dot mysapple dot o-r-g forward slash e-t-e we'd love it if someone wrote us with stories or suggestions random thoughts or interesting sci-fi geek culture information we're always on the lookout for it Yes, we are. So please write to us. We do check our email, believe it or not. And um, yeah, we would love to hear from you. And we hope you enjoyed this discussion as much as we did. I feel like this is maybe one of our meatiest discussions we've had. And I know I enjoyed it. So I hope you did too, Tim. Yeah, I ran my computer right out of battery. <laughs> Escapes the Escape the earth.